All right. Well, good morning. So um, I don't know about you guys, but I've had quite a week. Anyone else? Quite a week. Not sure. Normal week for you? Not a not a super normal week for me. Um, I had a uh, last weekend was really discouraging for me. Some of you probably have been tracking with me. I sold my RV. Hooray! Come to find out, though, my bank had the wrong VIN number. So when they sent me the title, they couldn't. I couldn't get the actual title because I had the wrong VIN number. And so the guy who I sold it to was a little upset about that because I need to get him the title. So I was really discouraged, and some other things were bothering me. Um, and then I was supposed to speak at Crew this week. So Crew kids, Crew students in the house, right here, right? And I had it in the calendar, right? And uh, but in my head, I had it next week. So I'm at, I'm in, I'm in San Jose at, at seminary. I get a call from the leader, like, "Hey, are you lost?" <laughs> and I'm like, "In a way, I'm lost." I think I'm lost in my head, apparently. Um, and I, I was talking to uh, one of the students about that, and you know, she 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 had an interesting take on that. She said, "Well, I think it's okay. You're human, you know." It, and so she her spin on it was she was kind of encouraged that it just reminds us that we're all human here, right? And and don't we kind of experience that when we make mistakes? Like we kind of celebrate our fallibility when it comes out. Like, oh, you're human. It's okay, right? Um, and 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 so we're we're able to kind of laugh it off and even be encouraged by it. Um, However, when we start talking about um, investing your life in the church, right, which is what our series has kind of been about in Zechariah, come build the temple. When we start talking about um, experiencing your relationship with God through a church, suddenly we start to experience distrust. We start to experience some obstacles for the very same reason that we often are encouraged by one another. And what is that? It's our humanity. Suddenly, when we start talking about religion and Christianity, the big barrier is, well, I'm good with God, but I'm not sure about the church because it's full of human beings. And I don't know if I can trust that. Right? So suddenly it becomes an obstacle. And and, and that's understandable, especially in today's atmosphere. Right? Um, today's atmosphere, there is a magnifying glass on the church. We are seeing podcasts of power-hungry pastors. It seems like every other week there's a, a pastor that's in the news for being abusive. Our, our history, uh, the church's history um, with racism is checkered at best. And probably many of us here have our own negative experiences in the church. And so there's some understandable reasons for distrust. And yet our message, and I think God's message over these last weeks, and even really since I've been here over the last six months, is come back. Come back from COVID. Let's build this thing. Come and devote yourself fully to the church despite our checkered past. And so um, the question is, is how can we trust that? How can we trust this institution called the church, even though it's full of human beings who've shown their fallibility in some painful ways um, consistently over, over the course of its history? And actually, I believe this is a similar problem that Israel was facing. 
Okay, I want you to think about this. Think about what Zechariah has been doing. Um, he's been bringing back his people from exile because they have failed for 500 years to uphold their side of the relationship. And so he painfully exiled them. And he's bringing them back and he's saying, let's do it again. Let's do this again. And so the book of Zechariah, our eight visions, are kind of saying, they're trying to encourage Israel, to, and by overcoming the barriers they may have had to re-embracing their identity as covenant, the covenant people of God. And so, like, for example, we saw God take Joshua the high priest and say, hey, you have these dirty clothes. It's signifying, signifying the corruption that has come upon Israel and the, the priestly office. And he said, I'm giving you new clothes. I'm taking your shame. And we realize that's who Christ is for us. So that's one barrier, right? But if you think about why Israel failed, why did they fail 500 years and go into exile? If you really analyze it, it comes down to a failure of leadership. If you look at why Israel failed, it's because their two leadership offices of priest and king failed. The kingly office, we have David, who was really good, with some really bad blemishes, but still overall really good. He wrote a lot of the Old Testament, the Psalms, and, and a lot of things were written by him. And his son did okay, but then it was really downhill from there. Okay, it was really hit or miss with the kings, mostly miss. Right? Even the kings that did well, for, usually by the end of their life, fell into pride. And so because of that, Israel was led into idolatry. They were led into worshiping other gods. And, um, and then, you know, God's wrath came upon Israel because of that. And then you have the priestly office. You have the priests who also, they're in charge of leading Israel in worship. And leading Israel to experience atonement through the animal sacrifice. So they can um, be, you know, their sins can be uh, taken away from them. So they can be in relationship with God. The priestly office failed. The priestly office, they would use their power to extort the people. So if you're Israel, and you're like, okay, Joshua's been reestablished, and Zerubbabel is all empowered by the Spirit. If you're Israel, you're like, but haven't we done this before? Like, is this, are we going to just do this again? And so God has one more big reveal for Israel. To say, no, things are going to be different. And this reveal is unique to the book of Zechariah. This is the only place we're going to learn about the Messiah in a unique way. There's something about him that is extraordinary, confounding to ancient Israel, and yet beautiful to us. And it's, the point of this is to help us to overcome our distrust and say, I can give my life to God by giving my life to his people and the church. I can de fully devote myself to that, even though it's a human institution. Yes, I know, we, you know, theologically it's God's body, but we're all people up here. I'm just a dude up here preaching to you. Okay? And so, how can we trust that and give our life to it? Our time, our talent, our treasure, our children's time, you know, our families, like we're doing a lot for this, for this thing called the church. So how can we trust that? So God has an answer for his people Israel. I think he has an answer for us. So we're in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to me 
that said, take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah, and Jedediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown. <clears throat> And set it on the head of Joshua, the, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So there's some new faces fresh from Babylon. They've come with precious metal, gold and silver, presumably from Babylon, in order to help with the, the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And God has a special designation for some of that gold and silver. Make a crown. Make a crown and put it on the head of the high priest. So already this is extremely strange because those two offices were absolutely separate in, Israel, in, in the way that it was set up with Israel, right? So to be a priest, you had to be from the line of Levi. You had to be born into the Levite tribe. And only from Aaron, only from the line of Aaron could you be a priest within the Levit Levitical uh, tribe. But to be a king, you had to be what? You had to be from the tribe of Judah. You had to be from the line of David. <clears throat> so it would be impossible for a crown to be on the head of a priest. And yet here it is. God's saying, do that. And it's symbolic of something. And we're, you know, if you're reading this and you're Israel, you're like, what is going on? <clears throat> so verse 12 God explains what he's doing. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out from this place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. <clears throat> it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord. In case you missed it the first time. And shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace and the council of shalom shall be between them both. And the crown shall be... <clears throat> In the temple of the Lord, as a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, Jedediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. So what this crown on top of the head of a priest means is it's symbolic of this branch man. The branch is coming. We've already met him in chapter 3. When he shows up, something dramatic happens. Both times he shows up. And the first time, uh, all of the, uh, of the land's sin is cleansed in one day. Don't know how. If you're Israel, you don't, know, you don't understand that. But you're like, wow, that's, that's crazy. And here, we meet him again and we find out why he's called the branch. What's going on with that weird name? Because he branches out. Right, so it's a picture of like this tree that just grows and, and just fills everything and keeps growing larger and larger. He's, there's, and he's going to build the temple. So there's, he, there's some kind of expansive building project, which would have been odd as well because uh, Zerubbabel, we just heard that Zerubbabel is going to build the temple. And then it says, but this branch, he's going to build the temple. So there's some kind of truer, better temple that's going to be built. This is the man who's really going to build like the real temple. That's kind of what God is saying here. And then the big reveal. So he's going to be a king. That's not a... Okay, that's awesome. But, and he's going to rule from... He's going to build the temple. He's going to rule from his throne. 
But then it says, and there shall be a priest on his throne. And so what the clear implication is, is that he's ruling on his throne. Oh, and there's a priest on his throne. Are there two people on the throne? No. This branch is a priest-king. The offices are combined. There shall be shalom between them. Which means that he will perfectly um, execute and fulfill the office of priest and king to its maximum potential for God's people. He will perfectly discharge those offices of priest and king. And so the results of this branch man being a priest and a king is that he will be very charismatic. Lots and lots and lots of people are going to be drawn to this man. And so if we go on to verse 15 after announcing this and explaining that we're going to keep this crown in the temple as a reminder, a sign of what I'm going to do. I want you to remember that my Messiah, so everyone knows this is Messiah, this is, but, but what we're finding out is he's some kind of priest king. And this is what's going to happen, verse 15, and those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. People are going to come from all over the world. From all walks of life. They're going to come and they want to be a part of what this branch man is doing. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So do you hear God saying, Israel, I want you all in. I want you to be all in with me because I'm sending my branch. Behold, I am sending my Messiah who will be a priest king. And so we see human agency. The very thing that we distrust and that why we struggle to embrace the life of the church, we see that it is in um, full bloom in this passage. Look at humanity in partnership with the branch. The, 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 this, this Messiah is the one that builds the temple and yet he partners with humanity to build the temple. He employs their labor to build the temple. We see human agency representing God. And it says that, and you shall know the Lord of hosts has sent me, a human being, to you. So we're to, we're to understand and accept that human, there's human agency that represents who God. And then we see that human agency is called to obey the voice of the Lord. To be fully invested. Diligently obey. To give their life to this. And the reason why, how can they do that is... Behold the man who is the branch who sits on his throne as a priest king. The bringing together of these two offices. And so if you're Israel, you're excited. You're excited to, to, about this, this Messiah. What a man he is. What a special man he is. And so, church, we know who this man is. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the man who has come. We know who that is. We now serve and worship him. And so listen to how the New Testament writers, knowing that Jesus has come, that this promise has been fulfilled, here's how the New Testament writers talk about how we are to engage our faith. 
in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest, there he is, there's our high priest, over the house of God, there's our king, there's our priest king. Let us, and look at, the, look at this language, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another. So God is saying to Israel and is now saying to us, because of my Messiah, because I have put a priest king on the throne, you can fully participate in my purposes. I have solved the leadership problem because I have put this man into relationship with you. And so because of that, let us have confidence to draw near to God. Let us have confidence to meet together. Let us have devotion to come and build the temple. Because at the head of this project is our priest king, Jesus Christ. So we need to meditate on this for a minute. To help us overcome our distrust of the church. I'm not going to be able to accomplish this in the short time I have left, but I'm trying to point us to the source. The source of our longing to trust and be a part of something, even though there's problems in the church, even though we struggle as human beings, we want to be able to trust it. So how can we do that because of Jesus as our priest king? And I think we need to believe two things. The first thing is we have to believe what Jesus as our high priest actually accomplishes for his people. If Jesus is our high priest, why is that so special? So Hebrews, again, Hebrews unpacks this for us. And so it's in, in chapter 9, he says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the, for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What the author of Hebrews has explained to us is that Jesus as our high priest means that we've been purified in a much deeper way than what Israel experienced. We've been purified in our hearts. So, in the Old Testament, um, you had access to God by birth, by being born into Israel. And then the high priest, in order to maintain a relationship with the, high, with the holy God, would kill the... Um, the, 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 the bull or the goat um, is the day of atonement. And that allowed God to accept um, the, the people despite their sinful state. But what the Hebrew author is pointing out is that didn't actually change them on the inside. 
Yes, it offered a kind of purification. It allowed them to be with God, but they themselves remained um, unchanged in their hearts by that offering of a bull. And so what the author is saying, but if Jesus Christ, as our high priest, made an offering, which was his own blood, what that does is that actually purifies you in your soul. It changes you in your heart. So before you were connected to God by birth, now you're connected to him by faith. And when you're connected to Jesus by faith, and when you believe in that transfer, his life, his blood for you, when you believe in that, God imputes this sacrifice to you, the power of that sacrifice, the cleansing of that work of blood, he now gives it to you in your heart. And you are cleansed. You are changed. You are washed. In other words, you now are sincere in your devotion to God. Not perfect, but sincere. It's true. It's real. It's God has done it. And so because of that, that's why the scripture says, you need to come and stir each other up. You need to tap into that cleansing work that I have done. Don't neglect to meet together if God has worked in your lives and changed your hearts. Don't say that God has saved me, but all those other people out there are just going to defile my relationship with God. You can't say that. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and changed you, you have to believe he's done that for others. And God is saying, go lean into that. If I think about this um, analogy when the Hebrew author says, stir one another up. It makes me think of cooking. How many of you like to cook? I imagine that some of you like to cook. Okay. I'm not a cook, but I've recently gotten into it. And I was following this, this Italian chef. He, and he's saying, all right, look, this is what you got to do. You got to make the spaghetti. But first what you got to do is you got to get the garlic and the extra virgin olive oil. And you put the broccoli in and you simmer it for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. You're just slightly stirring it up. Why? He says, you got to let the flavors. This is an Italian chef. He says, they have to make love. <laughs> The garlic is wonderful. Broccoli is wonderful if you're over like 12 years old. <laughs> they have olive oil. It's great, but by themselves, what's happening when you cook it? The flavors release and they mix together. And it forms this, you know, and then you, you put the spaghetti in it and you mix it all up and you put the, the pecoroni cheese in it and you mix it all up. It has to get mixed up to fully be what it is. The ingredients are there, but they have to get unlocked. Are you feeling me? This is what God is saying. Do you know what I have done in your life? Unlock it. Release it by stirring one another up. So... That's why we do church. That's why we do home group. And that's what we do on Sundays. That's why we come together. That's why we do church picnics. That's why we do church membership and gospel academy. We're trying to tap into and release this wonderful work of our high priest who has gone into the, into the, uh, the Holy of Holies, has done a work in our hearts. And now God is saying, stir that up. Devote yourself to that. Trust in what I've done on the cross. Trust in the power of the Son of God to change hearts. So, 
So that sounds good, but one last question though is, <clears throat> you know, who's in charge though? You know, who's the chef? in that situation. If we're all kind of these ingredients and God has done a work in us and we're supposed to mingle, who's like making this all work? <clears throat> and so the second thing we have to believe is we have to, we have to believe in what it means that Jesus is our king. What does it mean that we, we know he's our priest? And so there's a true and dramatic and miraculous changing of our hearts. And he's working in our hearts, but he's also our king. He, we have to believe in what that means for us. So what does that mean? <clears throat> Peter addresses this, the apostle Peter. We're in Acts. He's in Acts, and Jesus has risen from the grave. He has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come upon the apostles. They start preaching. Right? They start talking to the people. And they, and they say, they, they remind them, they say, look, this Jesus who you crucified, he was risen. Because he has risen, God has raised him up and seated him on his throne and made him Lord and Christ. Made him king of kings. That's what that term kind of means. Lord, king, special king, great king, the king. And so the Israelites are like, oh no, we've killed our king. Yeah, because he's also your priest. He had to die. But they're like, what do we do? We killed our king. And so this is Peter's answer. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. God was using what you did for evil for your own good. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord or God calls to himself. Everyone who God is calling to himself to be so he can be their king. He can be their God. He is drawing to them in the way that he rules his churches through his Holy Spirit. So Jesus is our king through his Holy Spirit. So you have to believe that. If you're going to believe in Jesus and his resurrection, then you are believing. God is calling you to believe that he is leading his church actively, spiritually, through the Holy Spirit. And the way that we experience that, the way we know that's happening, Paul unpacks this in Ephesians. He says, when we speak the truth in love, we grow up into him who is the head. Jesus Christ. He is our head. So how do you know that God is leading the church? You have to be a part of a church that speaks God's truth. All of God's truth. Not some of it. Not the parts that we like and not the parts we don't like. All When you are a part of a church where God's truth is being taught, that is a church that Jesus is leading. That is where the Holy Spirit is working And we're called to speak truth to one another. It's not just, it's biblical truth, but it's also truthfulness. A church that speaks truth with one another, that is a church that Jesus is leading. And let me give you a picture of how this happens. Um, what does that look like for Jesus to lead his church? And I, I, I want to give you a picture of this. Um, <clears throat> I can't prove that Luke meant it this way. So 
but this is how I look at it. So we're in the nativity story, and there's this scene in Luke where the shepherds have seen the angels. Remember this story? The shepherds are there, the angels appear, and they say, hey, there is a child that's been born. He's the Savior. He's the Savior. So go and see him. And so they go in and they talk to Mary and they share what happens. And then verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. <clears throat> But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. So notice what's happening. God is working in the shepherds' lives. God is speaking to the shepherds. And then they go and explain what happened. And a lot of people are like, wow, that's amazing. But the author zeroes in on Mary's response. The author draws our attention to Mary's response. Because what, how, what God did in the angels, notice how it penetrated into Mary's heart. She listened to what they did and she pondered it. And she treasured it. I think that's a picture of how Jesus leads us through the Holy Spirit. You know, when I do a sermon, right, we know that God speaks to us through a message, but think about what's happening here, right? When I am laboring over a passage, and any, I'm sure this is true for Andrew, and any pastor or shepherd worth anything who preaches, when they're laboring over a text, do you know what else is in my mind? Your lives. Because as I am hearing from you what God has done in your life, as I am listening to your life experiences, do you know what I'm doing? I'm pondering it. I'm treasuring it. So when I go to preach the word, I'm agonizing over the text, and the spirit is working in me, it's actually your lives that are being mingled with that. So when there, a sermon is being preached, it's not just that pastor's words. It's your lives. It's what God is doing in your life coming back to you with the word of God, empowered by his spirit. And so that doesn't just happen in a sermon, though. Mary's not preaching here. But as we, as God works in our lives, we can ponder and treasure those things. And that's how God begins to change us. That's how the Spirit is going to work in our lives and is going to lead us. He doesn't strong arm us. He inspires us with his truth. Not just because he's what he's saying to me, but what he's also doing in your life. And when I hear about it, and when you hear it from each other, ponder and treasure that. And God will, that's how God changes you. That's how he leads his church. So the message today is, come and build God's temple. Let us come and experience the work, the cleansing work of the gospel in our lives. By stirring one another up, by talking to each other, by experiencing that, by pondering and treasuring what God is doing in our midst and letting that change us and guide us so really he is the one leading this church. We have some specific ways that you can do that. I want to try to get as tangible as possible. I hope this has inspired you. But 
Where can you do that? How can you do that? The way to think about that is three things you can do. If you want to come build God's temple and be a part of this building project with our priest king, then you have to give three things. You have to give your time, your talent, and your treasure. That's all we have to give, isn't it? First of all, we want to encourage you, give your treasure. If you're going to come help build the temple, the temple takes money to run. Okay, it takes money to keep this building up. Trust me, a lot of money sometimes. It takes money to bless our community. It takes money for the staff to be able to operate to lead this church. You have to give of your treasure. But you also have to give your time. We have to spend time together. You know, I had to saute those, those, <laughs> that broccoli and that garlic for 10 minutes. It takes time. We got to marinate in each other's lives. And so that's why we come on Sundays. And one of the other main ways we do that is through home groups. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a picture. I want to help you. I want to help you say, okay, what is this home group thing? What does it look like to come and experience that? And so we have a, a testimony. We want you to hear how God has worked in Zach and Christina's life. So why don't you guys come up? You're going to hear from them about home group. Hello. Oh, there we go. All right. Hi, everyone. We're the Tronstads. Uh, I'm Zach. This is my wife, Christina. And we're going to tell you a little bit about our journey of how we got involved with a home group here at Solano. So we moved here from Arizona last July, and we came a little nervous about finding a good community in a church. Um, we had never experienced the Bay Area before, um, but we had heard that it didn't have the greatest reputation for active Christianity. So we had no idea what to expect when we were looking for churches, um, but we were looking for and praying for friends, and not just friends, but people we could have fellowship with. We came to Solano and felt really welcomed from the start. The second Sunday that we were here, Alessia and Miguel invited us over to their house for dinner. And then really soon after that, they invited us to their home group. Um, so we decided to check it out. That was exactly what we were looking for. Um, we were a little discouraged at first when we saw it was on Zoom because it had been really hard for us to connect virtually, especially since we were new here and we didn't really know anyone. So that was a challenge that we faced at first. Um, but soon after, we came to their in-person potluck and felt the people of the home group really uh, try to connect with us and invite us to spend time with them outside the group. And it was because of that genuine interest and warm welcome that we decided to stick with the home group and continue going. Yeah, and now that we're kind of in the in the flow of home group, there's a lot of things that we've really come to appreciate. Um, so one of the things is how we're able to discuss the sermon each week. So having grown up in church, I know it's easy to come on Sunday and kind of have the sermon go in one ear and out the other and not really be changed by it. Um, and so being able to discuss with our community on a deeper and more personal level with people who actually know what's going on in your life, um, discussing with people who know how God's trying to use you in your life uh, has been something we've really come to value. Um, but also our home group, we're able to, to get real with each other and walk with each other through difficult times. Um, I don't know if I've ever been a part of a community that's able to be so vulnerable and open with each other. There's a real sense of uh, trust and we're secure with each other. And so that allows us to take risks 
um, that you need to in relationships in order to find uh, healing if you're going through a hurt or um, help if you're going through something hard. Um, it also encourages us to uh, serve. We have a lot of wonderful people in our home group that serve, and so having that community and that culture around us encourages us to get involved with uh, helping to build up the temple like Pastor Paul is talking about. Uh, and then also we've really enjoyed the diversity in our home group, both age and uh, ethnicity. Uh, our different perspectives help us learn more about who God is in ways that we wouldn't have been able to figure out if we were just by ourselves. Uh, and then we get to be a part of this beautiful tapestry of God's people here in the Bay. Um, so I'm going to share a little story about being in home group. So one time we were on Zoom and somebody asked how I was doing and I just started crying. <laughs> I didn't realize that I was going to cry. I didn't realize how I was feeling until I just started talking and sharing. Um, but I started to realize how moving to a new, new city had been really hard for me. Um, I was battling loneliness and I was really missing my intimate Christian friends that I had in Arizona. Um, but after I had been vulnerable and shared with that um, with our home group. Um, I was showered with so much love from everyone. I had so many coffee and lunch dates of people that had reached out to me uh, from some ladies in our home group. So I had really appreciated how our home group just like showed that they genuinely cared about us. Um, like we've mentioned, Home Group has helped us experience fellowship in a more intimate way. Home Group has allowed us to develop deep and authentic friendships with people we love. We can have funny conversations and also casual conversations. Um, but we can also share deeply and vulnerably um, in areas that allow us to help support each other as we look to live more like Christ and spur each other on, like Pastor Paul said in, from Hebrews 10. Yeah, I honestly couldn't imagine being a part of Solano and living here in the Bay Area without our home group. Uh, God meant us to live in community, and I think the people of this church uh, and the way that the home groups are structured really combine uh, to help us build real life-on-life -life friendships uh, that give us a taste of heaven. Um, so if you're, if you're not in a home group and you don't want a taste of heaven, I guess you don't have to join, but... <laughs> If it sounds appealing to you, you should, you should introduce yourself. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of great people here in this church that are ready to welcome you into our community. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. <clears throat> so we, we have to give our, our, our treasure, our time, as Zach and Christina shared, I think very specifically what it looks like to give your time to God's people, particularly in home group. But also, um, God wants you to give your talent. And sometimes that word can be scary, like, oh, I have to be good at something. But I think in general, it means your ability to impact. Come and make an impact. Um, come and serve. And sometimes that means with a very specific talent, like maybe you're an amazing keyboardist or, you know, drummer or whatever. Uh, I'm neither of those. Um, or you just, you know, there's a need and you can come and make an impact. <clears throat> so I want to uh, welcome up Emily because uh, we have a need uh, for you to make an impact with children. So she's going to share about a little about her vision for children's ministry and how you can be a part of that. Good morning, Solano. My name is Emily again. Um, 
Speaking of talents, uh, public speaking is not really one of mine. I would much rather be doing this in an interpretive dance for you all, but that would not make as much sense, so here we are. Um, I'm the new children's ministry director, so um, as Paula shared, and as you'd probably guess, um, I'm here to encourage you to consider being part of building the temple by serving with our wonderful children and families here at Solano. Um, our vision is that children's ministry here would be a community where children can build the foundation for a lifelong journey with Christ, sharing his love and knowing him intimately. Um, as I move into this role, I'm really excited to connect children's hearts to the gospel and to creatively integrate children in our larger church community. We have started putting this vision into practice with things like lessons focusing on prayer and projects like the Flying Scrolls out in the lobby. Um, feel free to look up as you leave. They're kind of uh, sneaky up there and can easily miss them. Um, and projects like that uh, that I believe help children engage with our larger congregation with all of you through creative forms of worship. Um, serving with our children is a really humbling and joyful experience and there's a lot of examples that I could give. Um, some of my favorites involve the faithfulness of our children to share prayer requests for their friends who don't know the Lord. They're really consistent with that and it's really, it ministers to me a lot. Um, I also enjoy the fun and deep conversations that can come up while we're discussing the Bible with kids. A uh, specific example of this, in January we were learning about the Lord's Prayer and some of the younger kids pre-K through first grade were kind of grappling with the idea of um, temptation for the first time and I asked them this question um, saying you want to do something bad but have you done it yet and one of the students eyes got really wide like she's getting really excited and she goes no you're just thinking about doing it you can ask God for help to do the right thing um, and so there's so many wonderful examples of that in serving with our children where you get to see these kind of aha moments with them and you get to walk with them in that and often they're kind of an aha moment for you as well and it's really sweet. Um, so I would love to strengthen our capacity to put this vision into practice and to see more of these moments with our children and to do so we need more volunteers. So currently we meet outside. You can, If you were to turn around right now you'd see the kids running around back there outside. Um, we try to split into two or three groups for lessons based on age when that's possible. So having more volunteers will allow us to teach and support groups that of several consistent um, Sunday school classes. We're hoping to have classrooms for ages zero to three, pre-K and kindergarten, first through third grade, and fourth through fifth grade. So if you're even interested in working with a specific age group of kids, we would love to see that happen. Um, so I'd love to have you join our team with Children's Ministry and for more information how you can get started in that process. You can fill out the form on your seat or come find me after outside running around. Thank you. You know, when I think about pondering and treasuring what God is doing in people's lives, I believe that children are some of the best um, examples of on when we can do that. And Jesus called us to do that. You know, he called us to look at the children and be like them, learn from them about what faith is. And so uh, I hope God would lead some of you to be a part of uh, the children's ministry. Help us build that up. Um, so I want to point your attention to your seats. You're going to see um, a booklet, little, a little uh, pamphlet with ways that you can serve. Uh, you can fill this out. You can also do it online by filling out the code. The uh, um, scan this. What is this called? QR code. Can't think in the moment. Um, also, you can get connected to a home group by filling out uh, this. Sir, this. Um, 
this brochure as well. You can also uh, email on, go online and do that. So uh, I'd love for you to just take a minute and think about if God is calling you to invest uh, your time, treasure our talent in a, in a, in a, in a unique way, a way that you feel called or just want to try out. Uh, so take a minute to do that and someone will be in contact with you. If you, if you take that step and fill that out, we have people ready to contact you, eager to get to know you, yeah, eager to connect with you. Um, and again, you can fill that out and turn it in to the credenza out there. So there's little boxes out there. Just put that there. Um, or again, if you fill it out online, the email will come to one of us. So I hope Jesus is leading us through his word today. I hope we experienced his Holy Spirit leading us, speaking to us, um, and calling us to come help build the temple through the message of Zechariah, which was the first six chapters. We're going to transition a little bit uh, next week. The, tr the book will transition. But this, the first six chapters were really to encourage Israel. So I hope you feel encouraged to, to come be a part of what God is doing in building his church, specifically here at Solano. So I'm going to pray and uh, bring up Andrew. Lord, uh, we thank you and remember that you are our priest king, that you died and made a real sacrifice for sins that gave us a real cleansing, a real power in our work. And you were risen from the grave. You are risen from the grave. You are seated at the right hand of God. You are ruling on your throne of your temple, which is your church. You are leading us by your spirit. And we get to experience that as we meet together, as we serve, as we ponder and treasure all that you are doing in one another's lives. Let us experience that. Lord, let us uh, draw out the flavors of the gospel, the flavors of your work in each of our lives, and let us experience and savor that together. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray.